0: Welcome back to Maya's Corner. Last week, uh, you heard me talking with my good friend, Oscar, about college, moving on, and just growing as people. Um, Today, I'm excited to share with you that I have a lovely guest, Yasmeen. Um, She will be attending Johns Hopkins University in the fall. And she is a writer, um, and she's going to introduce herself. And today, we're going to talk about her topic. And I'm so excited.
1: Hi, everybody. Um, I'm Yasmeen. I'm a poet, author, and part-time creative writing coach. And I'm also a racial justice advocate. And my goal is basically to nurture the voices and create accessibility for young BIPOC involved in the arts, whether that be creative writing or the performing arts. I also started an organization called Hypersensitivity, which is an online community hub for BIPOC with invisible disabilities. And I will be attending, as Samaya said, Johns Hopkins University in the fall as a writing seminars and um, philosophy and religious studies intended double major, although that might change.
0: Yeah, so as you can hear, she's absolutely fantastic.
1: Um, well, thank you.
0: And I am so excited to share with you today um, this like entire podcast episode and listen to what you have to say.
1: Thank you. I'm really excited to be here. Thank you for inviting me.
0: No problem. Um, And so today, Yasmin's going to talk a little bit about um, the writing community and how the pandemic has shaped um, the writing community and how everyone has basically adapted and how it's changed a little bit.
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, And the first thing that I want to express is that I sort of joined the writing community, which is a very loose term because there are many different writing communities. Um, I joined that in about my freshman year of high school. And so I really did not spend that much time immersed in writing with others as a communal activity um, before the pandemic hit. So I'm not super familiar with how things were before the pandemic, if, if you know what I mean. Right. Um, But I I definitely will say a lot of what the writing community was to me before the pandemic was going to in-person workshops where we would all go and we would have an instructor who would give us prompts or who would give us some visual to get us inspired and then we would create for an amount of time all you know being in the same room and then we would present our work to each other we'd perform it for each other and then give each other critical feedback and then we'd rewrite it and there'd also be always these kind of fun games if you were a theater kid think those kind of games like the very goofy um, trust building type games because you know when you're writing you're you're bearing your your soul to everybody who's there and you want to trust the people that you're doing that with and so that's kind of what i associated um with the writing community which is these in-person workshops getting to be close to other people writing can be such a solitary act um and to have it you know put into such a communal way was just kind of the way that things were i would say before the pandemic started
0: right of course and i know that we all about how the pandemic has affected other performance art like dance spaces, theater of course, like you already mentioned, you know, I did do theater and I was able to witness that firsthand, but I don't think many people talked about or acknowledged. And I'm so sorry um, y'all I forgot to warn you that there is work being done downstairs in my house if you hear any noise in the background that's it. But um we haven't really acknowledged how it has affected Um, writers. And I know that, you you know, you said the writing community is a very like loose term since there are are different ones. Um, So how was the writing community kind of, I guess, divided before the pandemic?
1: Mm, That's a really good question. I would say the biggest division was by age. A lot of things are separated by age and some for good reasons because you know, in different groups, different people are going to be writing about different things. Some writings have mature themes, and so some things are better kept for an adult audience and an adult workshop, whereas, you know, if you're a younger writer, it might be better for your personal development as a writer to be in community with other young writers. Um, So that was one of the biggest divisions, I would say, is that um, it was very much divided by age, and then also by location, because one way that writers share their work with one another is getting it published in magazines, which it doesn't really matter where you are location-wise, because you can read a magazine online as long as it's an online journal. But, you know, different kinds of performances and events like poetry slams, um, poetry dinners, those events are very much location-based, especially if they're hosted by a university. Academia usually has a huge hand in public displays of poetry or public performances of poetry, and access to that event is limited to people who live in and around that area, as well as able-bodied people who are able to make it to those performances. And so I would say one thing that changed positively was that that kind of went away. Um, Over the past year and a half, my life has been very much enriched by poets who live nowhere near me. Um, I was able to connect with poets from across the country. Some of my favorite poets live in California and Florida. I live in the DC area. And so I, A, would have never met them, and B, would not have been able to be in community with them and be able to be in discussion and workshop with them in the same way.
0: Absolutely, and I know, During the pandemic, like, there was a lot of focus on racial justice, um, especially with the mm-hmm. you know, George Floyd and everything that occurred afterward. How has this affected how the writing community um, uplifts Black voices and how has it affected you as someone who's involved in racial justice?
1: Ooh, that's a really good question. I'm going to start on the the tail end of that question and then move forward, kind of like start yes. small and go wide. Um, because I've, I've thought about this a lot of times when I've been asked, you know, how, how is the pandemic and how has the movement for Black Lives altered this, the writing space or like the headspace that writers live in and right. then how we interact with one another. And I think first of all, it changed how I interacted with myself as a writer because as a Black writer, um, I really got my start writing my poems intensively about race and issues of race um, on an interpersonal level. That One of the first poems I ever had published and that ever won a prize was about a, race, a racial confrontation that I had at the locals, local farmers market. Um, and so really a lot of my first poems were like that poem. And so then last summer, you know, I had a lot of people who were following my writing and they were like, oh, are you going to release a poem? About what's going on, and at the time, you know, I I was grieving. Um, I was very much I felt assaulted by all these images of black people being murdered, and you know, discovering that the people around me and and people that were close to me um, just did not understand, refused to understand how that would be difficult for me to be able to cope with, especially not being able to um even see people that would understand that you know everything was virtual and so it felt very isolating and i really was not in the headspace to write much of anything at that point in time and so i was very much i felt like it was my responsibility to write about it as as a black writer Um, and so i did i ended up writing a poem about just the immense amount of grief that I felt and the personal responsibility that I felt that I had to um, make the world a place where that wouldn't happen anymore. But I also, in part, and I don't want to say I regret writing the poem because I think the poem was very cathartic for me to write, but I... I'm not sure if I could go back and do it again and remind myself that it's not my responsibility to speak for all Black people or to put out a poem every time one of us is murdered. Um, I would tell my younger self that. I would tell her, you know, just take this time to grieve, you know, someone else will write about this. There are so many poems about this. And it's not your personal responsibility because the poem ended up being very much about my grief um, and I wish that I had written more about my rage. A lot of people were able to um, empathize with my tears and my being upset, but a lot of people get upset with Black people who are angry about what is going on. It's almost like our tears are more palatable than our righteous anger. And um, I ended up feeling like, huh, you know, it's really interesting that they interacted with this poem that was about um, Black grief rather than Black rage, even though the two are very much, intertwined. Um, So I would say that's one way that the pandemic shaped how I interacted with myself as a Black writer and just being very careful about what it is that I feel I have a responsibility to do as a writer and have a responsibility to share as a writer. Um, And then I would say as an overall community thing, I think that a lot of non-Black poets and writers recognize number one the same thing I was recognizing, that it's not Black poets' responsibility to capture every moment and to package the Black experience and Black grief and Black rage into like a poem for the world to be able to consume. You know what I mean?
0: Right, I think that's a, a large problem for creators in every single art discipline. Mm-hmm. Black creators, Um. when you are black and like you said when these murders happen not only is this content forced upon you by the day but people also I know you mentioned um feeling like a dude Mm. with your art form and I that can be damn because when you turn to your art form as something for comfort or just even something for fun or to relax and it gets turned into this thing where you have to respond to murder and grief um, of people, it's almost insensitive. Um, mm. The way people want you to react and respond in a way. And I know you said that you would tell your younger self to showcase not only your grief but your anger at what. Mm-hmm. Happened. I think that was a powerful thing you know and when you said that your grief black grief is more um I guess digestible for other communities mm-hmm. than anger that is true and we live through that every single day and I think that finds its voice in things like you know I, I saw a lot of commercials um by companies using black grief as like a an advertising tool mm. and I, right and I, I just feel like Sometimes our grief is turned into something to be used by other communities, by by corporations, by the government, um, rather than an actual human response. And I think that that's powerful. And I never thought about how it would affect Black writers. Like like I said, I, I sometimes you do end up thinking in a way that's very self centered in theater. And I. Was able to talk with many people about, you know, changes that need to be made in theater and how um, this has affected us, but I never thought about Black writers and how mm. you. Um, but do you, would you make like um, non Black writers in the community a little bit more, I guess, responsible or, um, I don't know. Oh.
1: That's a really good question. I would say yes. I would say that I, when I first joined the Twitter writing community, um, because there's, there's poets on Instagram and there's poets on Twitter, and it's just different because people interact differently across different platforms. So when I first joined Twitter, which lends itself a little bit better to having discussions about writing, um, I I struggled to find who like to follow and who to even be in community with. But I think that last summer really highlighted who was going to be a safe place for Black writers, which organizations, which magazines were going to be a safe place for Black writers versus the organizations and magazines and um, poet leaders who, you know, weren't interested in even acknowledging what was going on or who wanted to profit off of it in the moment. Um, And I would say that because that was kind of on full display, I think a lot of non-Black poets and writers saw that and were like, oh my gosh, I'm horrified that they would use your grief as, as a marketing tool right. or you know, create this one workshop where they invite Black writers to come and, and write and then never do that again. Right. And they recognize like, wow, okay, we really need to integrate Blackness further into just the whole curriculum of of poetry teaching um, across the country, and that was that was very heartwarming to see, yeah. um, especially amongst the young writer community. I think aside from my Be the Bridge group, which is like a youth racial justice advocacy group, mm-hmm. the writing community was the next like the next community that I turned to um, because they they got it, they understood it, especially the BIPOC writers that I was in community with. They understood that they got it. They knew it wasn't appropriate to write poems about about black pain if they weren't black, um, and they were willing to, to educate people, catch them in the comments, be like, hey, this is this is not appropriate, and and here's why. And it was very heartwarming to see.
0: Right. I, I'm so glad that that happened, and I I know that um, sometimes when you think about like the positive effects that occurred from you know, having this global discussion about Black lives, sometimes you're like, I I wish it didn't start under such terrible circumstances, but Mm -hmm. it's also, you know, sometimes when there's good change, you kind of do feel good about it, but I always feel a sort of like sense of guilt that I'm happy that it occurred under such circumstances
1: no i hear you um and i i would say that i'm also a theater kid by the way so yeah. i have felt that definitely a lot within theater um i've, I've seen theaters really change their Mm -hmm. whole like makeup of how they're doing theater. And it makes me feel really happy. Like I'm so happy that the next generation coming through the programs that I came through is not going to experience the sense of isolation and alienation that I did. um, Or the sense of of just feeling so different or feeling like I had to like hide um, from people who wanted to like touch my hair or ask me questions that were like just really racially inappropriate. Um, At the same time, it hurts my soul so deeply that these changes came not because of the black people who have been advocating over so much time saying, hey, this is not okay, this is not okay, this is not okay, and rather a black person being murdered um, and, and finally having more community pressure from more than just black people. Um, to actually get these things going, get these balls rolling. So I definitely understand that feeling of tension, of being joyful of the change, but also grieving and upset about the fact that the change had to come under such horrible circumstances.
0: Absolutely. And um, you know, in the theater community it's kind of like difficult because there's still so much work to be Mm. done. Being that whiteness was kind of the center of theater for a long time, and I would still say in some places it is. Right, but you see this in character architect, the way that they do technical elements of theater like makeup, lighting, um, and you just understand how much people of color, especially Black people, were kind of at the on the back burner of everything for so long
1: Mm -hmm. Um,
0: and i'm glad that our voices are being uplifted now but you know there's still just so much work to be done in in every single aspect and this year i um created a i guess project um to get more diversity in my theater program
1: because come on (laughs)
0: <laughs> because I believe that is the issue um, we don't have a lot of diversity and when you don't you also don't know how to go about getting that like the teachers who are, or the directors who are there mm. um, so uh, there were lots of discussions had about how things were um, how they should be going forward and I, I like to believe that we made a lot of change there um, but you know you kind of just it's one of those things where you constantly just have to wait and see and it's it gets almost like, I don't know, frustrating. Yeah. Change definitely occurs over time. So sometimes you do just have to wait and see how things will actually go um, because people can make promises, but you know you don't know if they'll go through on them. And especially since I'm leaving the school and I'm moving on, um, I'm, I was just, I've kind of been thinking about how that's going to work. Like when I'm not there to advocate. Right. I, I will continue to do my best um because mm-hmm. i something that needs to change absolutely and i'm so i admire like the work that you put in um in all community that you're a part of like you make racial justice kind of like a part of your writing um mm-hmm. and you know it doesn't consume all of it but you know you were mentioned that one of your first yeah oh my god your first poems i'm so sorry um, were about a racial confrontation that you had and I, I just find that so impressive because I love when um, people are able to combine all of their interests and all of their I guess communities into one thing and I don't know, I just love that, that's fantastic <laughs>
1: oh, thank you, I really appreciate that <laughs> Um, but yeah that's
0: just amazing so I also kind of want to touch on like other than you know what we discussed about um, the racial justice changes that have happened in the writing community. Mm-hmm. What this pandemic itself personally affected you in your writing. Were you able to do some more um, introspective work, or
1: you know? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, I would say that this past year and a half has really given me a lot of insight into who I am as a writer, because I would say before the pandemic, I wrote very much for other people. Um, Again, the first poem I wrote that you know was won a prize was about that racial confrontation and my mom was like oh can i publish it on my facebook and i said okay sure (laughs) and i was surprised by how many of our white friends uh, parents were saying things like wow i didn't realize this kind of stuff still happened or wow you know i can't believe that this happened at the local farmers market Um, and so then my mom and i started Um, later on during the pandemic doing these lives where we were talking about just the ways that um, whiteness can be weaponized against black and brown bodies. And again, I still got that same response of, wow, I didn't even understand that this was a pattern or that this was something that was going on. And so I would say in my young development as a writer, I was taught that yes, audience matters, but I think I I internalized that a little bit too much to be quite honest because I realized during the pandemic, I hardly ever wrote anything that was just for me. Hardly anything that was going to be only something I ever saw or um, anything that just, that I enjoyed. You know, anything that was just for fun and didn't have the pressure of having to be ready to be put out into the world. And that changes the way you write when you're writing with a specific audience in mind versus when you're just writing to write, when you're writing to heal yourself um, those, those different ways, those different intentions change the flavor and the shape of your writing. Right. And so I would say that, yeah, I, I realized, wait a minute, you can also write about the things you really love. Like before I got involved in poetry, I wrote a lot of short stories. And one of the first ever short stories I wrote may not outwardly seem like a poem, uh, may not outwardly seem like a story that is about race, but actually was very much a part of my identity formation as a young Black girl. Um, one of the first things I started wondering when I reached my teen years was, how can, I, how can I connect with the rest of my family? Why am I not connected with some of the family members who are not in my immediate family? And I had to have these difficult conversations with my parents where they were like, they're not in our life for a reason, unfortunately. Um, and then I had to grapple with that. Like, what does that mean for my identity? Um, What does that mean for my family moving forward and and growing up? And so I wrote that poem to process all of that, or not that poem, that short story. And so I wanted to go, I wanted to get back to that. I wanted to get back to those roots of exploring myself and then representing that self-exploration through short story or poetic form. So I did a lot of that. And then I would also say that I recognize that I go through patterns as a writer. Um, I write very extensively during the summer, like create just a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of work. And then in the winter time, I am not as much of a prolific writer. My productivity levels in just creating raw content go down, and I'm not sure if it's you know, school related, that's when a lot of uh, midterm exams are. Or if it's mental health related, I have generalized anxiety disorder. And I've noticed that it gets a lot worse in the wintertime and in the fall, so it could, you know, be related to that. But I had to recognize, okay, as me, you cannot have your pedal on the gas all year round. You need to lean into where your strengths are and where your fallow period is. And my strength in the summer is writing, just getting all that content out, creating new work. And then when I'm in the winter, I had to figure out, okay, how do I strategize? If I'm not writing as much, that doesn't mean I can't do writer things. It just means I'm not creating as much content, but I can still use that time to edit work. I can use that time to arrange workshops. Um, I can use that time to just consume really good poetry because that's what makes a good poet is consuming poetry. Um, and I can submit it to magazines because that takes, it takes a lot longer than you would think to submit your work to magazines. I literally will sit down for like three hours at a time and at the end have submitted to like three places and I'm like, wow, okay, I'm done for the week. Um, and so I, I, I learned how to listen to my own writer patterns and, and make my peace with the fact that I'm not a year round writer. I don't write the same way all year round and to just be okay with that and then figure out how to strategize with that.
0: Right. I feel like as a creative, like that's a very powerful, I guess, uh, instinct to build to like know, okay, so this is when things work for me and this is when I feel I I can do my best and this is when I want to take a break or relax. And I, I think that's what people need. I think a lot of the time, An idea gets pushed into our head, like from a young age, that if you're going to do something, you got to go at it full force all the time. Um, Yes, ma'am. Right. Or else it's not you. Right. And I I think um, I've kind of become a victim of that mindset, especially when I was uh, starting off in high school. I'm like, if I'm not doing something all of the time, then it's not part of who I am anymore. And I think you you do a great job like yourself of helping yourself get rid of that notion i'm not sure if you ever really had that in your head but it it (laughs) it's oh i definitely
1: did yeah
0: it sounds like you have um done a really good job of like finding that and understanding where you have to take steps to eliminate it and i think that's wonderful oh my god thank Um, you and like especially to you know have so much insight at a young age and i think I think that's where the pandemic has helped young people. I know we talk about how it's hurt us in our schoolwork and everything, but um, overall, especially people who are in my communities and circles, like that's where it has been most helpful, kind mm. of learning about yourself. You never get the chance to do that until we're on our own, but this gave us a chance to really put everything aside, school, work. Um,
1: <laughs> right. And-
0: working on and kind of like focus on you and see what you um still want to do i know myself i had to sit back um last march and think what are you even interested in and i i that like really it took me for a spin i was like whoa i i i haven't had time to think about that for years what do i like Mm -hmm. Um, i feel like we sacrifice so much of our time to do other things, um, without realizing that we have to get back to ourselves and that can be damaging.
1: (laughs) Definitely.
0: I, 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 realize in the process of trying to undo it, that, that, that is damaging. But yeah, you, you've, um, done an excellent job of kind of like finding that and being like, here's what works and here's what doesn't. Um, and I just think that that's great. So with um, everything kind of opening back up um, and creatives being allowed to take up more space on like, stages and venues, what are you um, expecting for poets or just writers in general?
1: Oh, I love that question. So I would say, first of all, Something that I loved about the pandemic was, again, that accessibility that we talked about um, right. from, from a disabled standpoint, number one, because a lot of events are limited to um, people who can who can get there in the first place and then who can what? exist in that space. So for example, I've had to miss events because I have very severe food allergies and sometimes the foods that they have, I just can't be around, I can't be in the room. Um, and so those events are just not accessible to me and then of course you know if it's a an area that's not wheelchair accessible then no one who needs a wheelchair can come.
0: Right. And
1: so I've noticed that as things open back up, a lot of events have returned to being in person, um, which, You know is very difficult for us disabled writers who've been having like the time of our lives during the (laughs) pandemic being like wow there's all these things that i can go to or really just any poet who wants to go to an event that isn't local um and it is a little bit difficult to cope with that um and i'm hoping that people are going to learn from the pandemic about how important accessibility is and that we should continue that um it's it's really been interesting to see how in the beginning of the pandemic, when it was kind of everybody going through it together, um, even though there were disproportionately affected communities, there were a lot of messages of like, we're going to build back better, or we're going to get through this together. Um, But it feels like as things open back up, that message is kind of being forgotten in a lot of spaces, especially academic spaces, because the accessibility is being yanked away now that non-disabled writers don't need it anymore um and that's hard i would say it's not been too hard for me because again i have an invisible disability so i can still go most places as long as you know it's not going to trigger my food allergies or my asthma but i know for um disabled writers who have more of Um, a difficulty finding places that are accessible for them, that's gonna be really hard on them, losing that aspect of community. Um, And so what I'm hoping is that we're going to see non-disabled people recognizing, oh wait, you know, I enjoyed that accessibility. I can't imagine how it must be for disabled writers not being able to have that accessibility. We need to change, you know what I mean? We need to build in that infrastructure. Um, And then I hope that a lot of events will stay online or will have an online component, like be streamed online. Because even if you wanna have something that is in person and not everyone can come, it'd be great if people could still come from, you know, the comfort and safety of their homes, especially as um, the vaccines are not always safe for immunocompromised and chronically ill people. Mm -hmm. So while most of us can go about our lives again, they're still stuck in the house. They can't go anywhere um so yeah those are my thoughts on that
0: of course and i think that opens up a wonderful conversation as to how we can advocate for people who are disabled um and in our people who are disabled in our spaces and communities because you know like you said like the world is opening back up for able-bodied people Mm -hmm. when you account for like you said like a you know compromised individuals, um, or even those who were able, even those who are disabled and were able to get vaccinated, um, sometimes they still can't insert themselves in these spaces because there are just too many people and too many risk factors.
1: Right. So
0: I, I think the world in general needs to have a discussion about how um, we can, or creatives, um, how we can support um, those who are disabled in our spaces and just, you know, start listening to disabled creatives and figure out where or what they need,
1: basically. Mm -hmm. Exactly.
0: Right. And the the world, yeah, it's pretty much opened up for able-bodied people and that's it. We don't really acknowledge that.
1: Um, Right. And it's been really interesting navigating the world again. Um, as somebody who's an able-bodied because I'll be quite honest with you I kind of forget how to do life um, (laughs) or like how careful I have to be so for example I went to um, the local former plantation grounds for a project I've been working on um, on highlighting the narratives of the formerly enslaved um, black people who worked the plantation and um, everyone had to wear masks and everything so I was like okay that's fine you know I'm fully vaccinated I can go but then there was the portion of the whole entire event where it was time to eat and we went into the cafeteria and it was time to get food and I kind of panicked because I was like wait a minute do I have my EpiPen do I have my inhaler you know if something goes wrong is my mom the she her phone near her and then I was like okay yes, I mean, calm down you have everything you need but then I couldn't remember what was safe for me to eat because I have my food allergies, like shellfish and nuts and everything like that. But there's so many derivatives and other things I have to watch out for that are co-related to my allergens that no one else is gonna remember for me. I have to remember that. And so because I literally have not stepped foot in a restaurant in a year and a half, I honestly kind of forgot how to even do anything. <laughs> and, um, I ended up not getting food. Um, I got myself some raisins and some Sprite. And I, I thought, okay, well, this is the safest meal that I can have. But just having that whiplash for a lot of creatives going back to projects, trying to figure out how to navigate in this new world. Um, there's so many changes that can be made to the creative world to make it more accessible. For example, just not having, um, having more food options at creative, events and creative projects um, can open things up or allowing people to bring their own food. If I could bring my own food to whatever creative events and workshops and seminars I went to, that would be amazing. I know there's a lot of rules if it's in a restaurant because you know that's bad for business, but a lot of us just wanna bring our food and and spend time with our friends. So
0: right. to- yeah, sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, I was saying you should just be able to do that, you know, that shouldn't be taken away from because they want to make money. Yeah, sorry. Continue.
1: Right. No, it's it's exactly that. Um, And so I would say that kind of builds back into the idea of listening to disabled creatives as to what it is we need. You know Um, what it is we need to be able to, quote unquote, return to society and make room for the fact that we have to readjust to living in an ableist society again like my house. Almost everybody in my house has some disability. So all of us are used to being careful with one another and we cooked our own food. So, you know, the structures that make it dangerous for me to live with the condition I have went away, mostly. But now that I'm back out in the real world, I have to remember how to navigate. And I'm sure that's true for people with other other disabilities as well. Um, So just, I I would hope that non-disabled creatives would go on this journey with us of remembering how to do things and how to do things better than they were before the pandemic.
0: Absolutely. Wow. That, that's a discussion that needs to be had in a very prominent um, kind of way. I mean, that affects disabled people everywhere and I don't think that anyone really touches on that. Like, you know, and when people are planning things. You know, you try to get down to like the smallest detail, like what color do you want this tablecloth to be. But I think we need to start kind of having discussion about things that matter, like Mm -hmm. that, like how can we make this event accessible for everyone. That is where you need to start, Um, and then you can kind of continue. But I, um, wow, that's something you know I never really thought about before but i definitely will going forward um so glad to hear that of course (laughs) um yeah and i will try to make everyone else aware of that as well like how can we support those in the disabled community because i mean they deserve to be in these spaces like anything that is my space should be your space as well Mm. i definitely um that that's something everyone needs to work on in creative spaces because you know we have things like you mentioned earlier that are held in venues and you know restaurants and all that but nobody ever really talks about Mm -hmm. those who can't be around things or those who might need wheelchair accessibility um or even those with just like other chronic illnesses Um, Mm -hmm. that gets Ignored often just because you know they can't see their disability, um,
1: right. and especially being um, disabled and black. There's some spaces that I'm like, you know what? I'm just not going back. <laughs> uh, right. A lot of disabled people and a lot of black people are realizing, a lot of the spaces that we had before were not really for us. Like, right. they they invited us in, but did not change the space to make it a safe space for us, and. It's okay to recognize. You know what? I'm going to go and create a space where I not only feel welcome but celebrated and the fullness of who I am is acknowledged rather than tolerated.
0: Wow. That was powerful. <laughs> but Thank you. Yeah, but I fully firmly believe in creating your own spaces when don't want to accept you as you are um mm-hmm. and you kind of need to build communities on your own and it's sad because you know realistically you shouldn't have to you shouldn't mm-hmm. have a separate space for yourself um because someone wasn't willing to accommodate but it happens far too often and especially like when you said like um you know being black and disabled and then also just being part of any several marginalized groups like life Mm -hmm. and you know going um back to i guess pre-covid era and being part of those different communities that is challenging because it's almost like have you learned nothing you know (laughs) during this entire time but it's it's starting to feel sometimes like they've learned nothing um like the rest of the world i mean when i say they yeah, I know exactly what you mean. <laughs> right. And it's because during, you know, the entire pandemic, there was a big fight over wearing a... And you're like, wow, I thought we cared about each other a little bit more than this. Right. <laughs> and it, it, that was crazy to me. And I can't imagine how disheartening it, may have, it must have felt um, for those who are disabled and having to see that people don't want to help take
1: care of each other. Like, that's just, yeah. Um, I would say I, I live in a high risk household. I I was not the high risk family member. Um, but that's part of the reason we were so cautious was number one, you know, like you said, we care about each other. We want to make sure that our community is safe. Um, and, and reduce the risk of transmission. But also, you know, I was trying to protect a family member in our house who was high risk. And it felt like a lot of creative organizations, I would say a lot of the writing community recognized and was okay with that. A lot of writing communities almost immediately went virtual and I did not have to worry about that. But a lot of theater communities um, oh. didn't seem to recognize that. Like as soon as people, um, as soon as people were able to stop wearing masks, it was like everyone was expected to come back out and and do everything. And if you weren't, then you couldn't be involved in the community anymore. And that was disheartening, number one, because um, not everybody in my house was vaccinated. So, you know, we, we, again, we were trying to be very careful, but number two, um, the fact that just because someone is vaccinated does not mean they can't pass it on. And so until my high-risk family member was able to get vaccinated, we really weren't comfortable exposing them at all to um, any possible risk of of getting the virus. And it, it felt like there just was not a lot of empathy for that. And it was very disheartening to like go on social media and see people say like, oh, don't worry, it only affects people who already had some kind of chronic condition anyway. And I'm like, hey, guys, uh, you know somebody like that. <laughs> right. Like, we actually exist in this world. It's not. <laughs> exactly. It's not just some phantom group of people. Um, right. And it, it really just highlighted how little regard people had for whether they lived or died. Um, and it was it was just very scary. Um, but in on a positive note, I guess, it kind of gave me um, concrete um, evidence as to why I should not return to certain spaces. You know, I think that's another thing the pandemic really taught me about writing and just creative spaces in general, what spaces were not safe? Because we have to be quite honest with ourselves, not not every space is made with Black people in mind. Matter of fact, most spaces weren't made for Black people in mind unless they were made by Black people. They've just been added on to what was already there um, and so now we have to go through the process of completely changing the structure and chemistry of different organizations and spaces in order to structurally include us instead of just have us there visually um, but then you know there's there's the side of that that had to do with you know wearing a mask and i thought well you know what if i if if I'm seeing these organizations that really don't care about people who already had some kind of condition, is that really the space that would be safe for me to be in or that I would even wanna be in, you know? Um, And so I think a lot of young writers learned that it is okay to protect yourself um, and protect your heart and protect your writing and, and just not participate in some spaces if they were not willing to change in order to acknowledge the value of your life or your loved one's lives.
0: Absolutely. And that that is a positive that comes out of it. You know, once again, it's this thing where, you know, I wish it didn't have to happen this way. Um, right. You wish people didn't have to experience that, but you're also glad, you know, you you know what to stay away from at the end of the day.
1: Exactly.
0: And um, a lot of arts spaces, um, you know, are, like I said earlier they're at the center of everything is whiteness mm-hmm. um and that's all that matters and then you expand that and it's white able-bodied cisgender straight
1: people like that
0: that's that's basically that
1: demographic right
0: right and you you find yourself having to work around everything when you're not part of that um Or those communities or demographics like it's really disheartening and i think um this pandemic highlighted so much of that it's kind of sad but you know i'm i'm hoping for change as we move along and i've seen um even like some organizations institutions i've respected um do things and I've, I've just been like you know what I can no longer respect them because of that decision um, mm-hmm. that they, or what they've done um to this person who needed accessibility and they were not given that um, right. and it's basically for no reason and I know you mentioned a lot like in the theater spaces like n- no one who was not able-bodied was accounted for pretty much and mm. I did a production back when the pandemic wasn't even, you know, flowing yet, and it was without masks, and I was so nervous. I was (laughs) like, what's going to happen if one of these other kids were exposed? And I know that theater is about trust, but this is literally life or death kind of of trust. Like, yeah, I cannot trust um, these people because... You know, I could actually get sick or get someone in my house who's in worse condition than I am very sick. Like, that's concerning. And I Mm -hmm. will pay more attention and really thought without you having to, like, fight so much. Um, But, yeah, it's just been really disheartening overall.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah.
0: But, uh, you know, I'm glad that there were some positives that came along. Definitely. Absolutely. Um, what else would you just like the world to know about, like, who you are as a person, um, who the communities that you are a part of, like, what they are, um, or any other thing you would just, like, want people to know and understand? Because I think we've had a really fruitful discussion about... Um, what people need to know or what, you know, needs to be, I guess, public information?
1: Right. Um, I would say that the first thing I would want, I guess, the world to know is that a lot of the things that I've learned, part of it has come from the experiences I've had, Um, and a lot of what I read about is about the experiences I've had, but there is more beyond that, and I would say that any person who wants to become involved in writing or in poetry um, should read. Read, 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 like a lot, a lot, a lot of reading um, and watching people perform their writing because also a lot of what I've learned, especially about disability, has not come from my lived experiences, but rather things that I've read about. Um, I would say read theory, even if you're not interested in crafting theory or really engaging with like the nitty gritty of theory, just to read it um, because we cannot rely on our own lived experiences to inform how we live our lives. And I would say that that's simply because each of us has such a colorful and different experience that we become wrapped up in the intricacies of how our experience works and the mechanics of that, that we may not consider someone else who has um, a different experience than ours that is more intricate, you know? So for example, I am disabled, but I do appear able-bodied. And so I have a lot of privilege that's attached to that. Like Most people don't look at me and think, oh, she's disabled. Um, And so sure, there are challenges that come with that because then people are like, oh, she doesn't need accommodations. But at the same time, you know, there are certain spaces that are accessible to me that are not accessible to people who need mobility aids. And that's not something that I realized simply by being a disabled person. I had to learn that by reading. Um, And I read a lot of work that was about disability theory, but also work that was by disabled poets. And so I would say um, just to, when, when you're reading, be very intentional about who and what you're reading about. Um, because it can be very easy to just, you know, pick up a book and and read it. And I'm not saying don't just pick up a random book and read it, but also to be intentional about what it is you're reading and take time to reflect on what it is you're reading, who it's by, how that person's identity interacts with the work that they create. Because right. um, I would say that's just taught me so much over all my life, I guess, but especially over the pandemic. Absolutely.
0: So speaking of like uh, books or, you know, reading, what are some books that that you would, um, that you've read recently or just would
1: suggest to people? That is a great question. So I recently finished The Cost of Knowing by Brittany Morris. Mm -hmm. This book is great. If you want to read something that is very heartfelt and emotional, um and portrays black people's experiences in a young adult setting Mm -hmm. um it's it's a very sweet like brother brother story but it also caused me a lot of pain um in the best way in the best way because Mm -hmm. i cried at the end and it was just this feeling of like catharsis and relief um but there is a lot of pain in the book so that's that's your warning right there, um, but I could go on and on about this book. I loved it so much, and I hope that I can read it again once I get it back from the library. So, I've that... been. Oh, sorry. No, go ahead. Uh,
0: now I've been um, doing a lot more reading lately, and I'm definitely going to read that because I've needed something that's just been like emotionally impactful. Um, and I think I've been missing that in a lot of what I've been reading. So I'm definitely going
1: to touch on that. Thank you. <laughs> but yeah. For sure. Um, And then I have two short story anthologies. I really got into short story anthologies over the past year and they become quite addictive. So be warned because once you get started especially if you have a really busy schedule it's so great to pick up a book of short stories because you can read one in about 10 minutes to half an hour depending on how long it is and then put the book down, no guilt because (laughs) you finished one narrative even though the narratives together kind of create a cohesive narrative in a way. And so one of those has been A Thousand Beginnings and Endings, um, edited by Ellen O. and Elsie Chapman. It is 13 retellings of Asian myths and legends, and I absolutely loved it. Um, Each one is so varied and so textured, and also there's a lot of pain here too, a lot of joy and a lot of pain. And I just love how the stories are portrayed. I love the characters. I love how we were just plunged into the world of these different stories. And so big, big, big recommend.
0: Of course.
1: And then the other anthology is called um, A Phoenix First Must Burn. And if I remember correctly, it is edited by Patrice Caldwell. And I think that is 14 stories written by Black authors, um, and they're all sci-fi and fantasy stories. And wow. ooh, that was an amazing anthology as well. Each one of the stories just was so textured and flavored, similar to the book that I just mentioned. Um, I wanted to know more about each of the characters and stories, but also it was such a self-contained narrative that. It just leaves you feeling very full, you know, like, okay, I got what I needed in this very short chunk of time. And because it's so short, you can go back in and just really enjoy the language in both of those books. um, Just really enjoy how the sentences are constructed, how everything flows, just the artistry of everything. Um, But yeah, I'm going to stop myself there because, again, I could go on and on and on about these.
0: Oh, no, trust me, I was enjoying (laughs) (laughs)
1: it. For sure. Um, I'm happy to hear that. (laughs) My nerding out was enjoyable.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Of course. Um, But I appreciate short stories just so much. I'm glad you recommended some because um, sometimes when you struggle with, um, you know, a short attention span, you kind of, like, aren't able to read, like, even if you want to. I know that happens to me often just because Mm -hmm. of my um, problem. But, you know, sometimes I'm not able to read and it makes me feel like I don't want to when really the problem is that I, you know, my attention span just won't allow it. So when I get something short, like that's always great for me. So I, um,. You know of course I love long texts and I love diving into them don't get me wrong <laughs> but um sometimes when you're in kind of like a reading dip or you haven't been reading as much as you want to um a shorter work can kind of get you out of that and I know a lot of people who listen to this some of my friends aren't really you know readers and I'm trying to encourage them to get into it um you know who you are. <laughs> um, but, um, yeah, you could definitely start with something short in one of the um, works that Yasmin just mentioned and then dive in from there. Yeah. It's always a great place to start.
1: I hope you enjoy them um, as much as I did because I, I read them so quickly that I regretted how quickly I blew through them and, and had to go back and read them again.
0: All right, when I read them, I'm definitely going to reach out to you.
1: Oh, yes, I can't
0: wait. <laughs> it's fantastic. <laughs> like, <laughs> but um, I love having someone to talk about you know, books pretty much with. Mm-hmm. I've definitely loved reading since I was younger. Um, it has just been one of those therapeutic things, and I don't know, it, just nothing can top reading.
1: General, Agreed. It's like
0: nothing <laughs> for me, at least. Like nothing.
1: Can no, happen. I hear you. It is top tier, <laughs> of
0: course. But um this has been like literally such a great discussion, and I think it'll actually be helpful to a lot of people because you touched on some things that I think just the world needs to think about in general. Um, and I hope, you know, this gets some people, like, thinking about what they can do. Um, because I know I have, like, just as we were talking, um, about what we can do to uplift, um, marginalized communities, what we can do to continue to uplift each other, and how we can learn from each other. Um, Mm. and I just think that that's wonderful. Um, yeah, wow. (laughs) Maybe you have... Any other things that you want to mention or talk about? That's okay with me.
1: No, no. Um, I've really, really enjoyed this space that you created um, and just the conversation we've been having. And also just kind of that crossover from, from writing to theater, because a lot of people I know are either one or the other. And it's really great to talk about, um, talk with somebody who's like a theater kid who gets that whole like how it connects to writing. Right. As- um so yeah i've I've just really really enjoyed this like i'm gonna be thinking about this for the rest of my day
0: (laughs) of course i honestly i can't wait for people to listen to this like this was genuinely just a great discussion i am overjoyed like literally and i feel like um i can just take so much of this with me and every day i'm going to be thinking about how i can make things better for people especially those who are who are in marginalized communities you know and you know as someone who is in one of course you're thinking about how things can be better for you but you know you know sometimes it's good to just think beyond i guess yourself exactly yeah and um this has been so great thank you so much um i am actually so glad that you you know agreed to do this um it was literally such a beautiful conversation. Thank you so much. Ezra.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Uh, I appreciate it so much. Um, and do you want, you know, me to shout out your socials?
1: Oh, sure. Yeah. Um, my Instagram is Black Punning Poet, all spelled out. Um, and then my Twitter is also Black Punning Poet, but it's B-L-K instead of B-L-A-C-K. Hmm. So
0: definitely go follow um, the accounts that she just mentioned. Um, I just did. So (laughs) So, um, definitely go do that. She has such wonderful things that she creates and is involved with as you, you know, as you heard from this conversation. And I just think it'd be so helpful um, just for yourself to just go follow. Thank you so much again. I literally cannot thank you enough. Thank um, you. And and I will definitely be back in touch with you. Thank you. Thank you. Alright, everyone. I will see you next week. Um, stay safe and just remember to continue thinking about ways that you can help other people. All right, bye me Bye.